We'll take a look back at where we've been. So let's hop into our time machine. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cartoon Time Machine. I am Scarlett. And I'm Katie. We're your animates, and today, ba 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 ba, we are talking about the second season of the Animaniacs reboot. Oh, it, it's funny. This is is this reboot is near and dear to our hearts, not just because we love the original Animaniacs from the '90s, um, but because this is this is kind of how we started uh, doing the show. We we was either our, our, our first episode, I think, was a retrospective on the old show, and then I think our immediate follow up uh, was talking about the first season, which came out just. We did. Our top 10 episodes, I think, combined. Then we did what we thought would happen in the new season uh, or what we wanted, our predictions, and then we did a review. Thank you. Thank you, Kate. I stand corrected. But essentially, our, fir our first foray into this podcasting space really was all based around this reboot. Uh, and, and we still kept it up doing other stuff, uh, talking about other cartoons. Uh, but this felt like coming home. Uh, this felt this felt like like this is what we were meant for. We were we were put on this podcasting earth we're, to talk about the Animaniacs reboot. We're back, baby. We're back. <laughs> Scarlett, what are we gonna do tomorrow night? Up like halfway through the season. Did you notice that, Katie? Like, yeah. that was, it, I I think I think what this is as we start getting into it. I feel like a lot of things about this season scream of we didn't know if we were getting one 26 episode season one or if they were going to split us into two 13 episodes my i think the most clear was when they they literally put like a little thing on the bottom was like outdated material outdated material there was a lot i mean that that i feel like honestly came pretty late in the game because the the first episode was that extended trump parody um, which, which i don't know why you had to make that into a trump parody nero was funny enough or, or like, or like, I think they could have made it sort of more like. I think the original Animaniacs would have been a little more sly about it, and then like in the end, they'd have like some kind of. Oh, by the way, isn't it funny that this guy's like Trump? Like the fact that it was throughout, I think, was a little much. Um, the good. It was one of the best good night everybody's we've had. R remind me what they're with the good night everybody for that one. When the tigers attacked Nero. Oh, oh yeah, grab him by the good night everybody. Yeah. That was pretty. That <laughs> it's it still not one. fingerprints. It's, but there is one very similar to that later, which I'm going to touch on later, uh, and we'll we'll get into more specifics as we go on. Um, but I think in general, it is I think it's pretty well known that they that these were mostly made in the same production run, um, you know, because obviously animation takes a long time to do. Uh, yeah, yes, Katie. They were probably made in the same production, but I'm pretty sure I could pinpoint the exact moment I could tell when Rob Paulson had to oh, switch to recording at home. Oh my God! It was bothering his audio. So went, many episodes. Like first three episodes, you could tell were recorded in studio, and then there's an immediate drop in his quality. Everyone else is okay. His quality goes to crap. And it it really bugged me at first because I'm like, okay, maybe it's just this segment, and then the, the uh, Pinky and the Brain segment was right after that, and uh, Pinky sounded bad, and I'm like, oh, that's still Rob. Uh, and then for the first segment of episode five, it sounded okay, and then it was bad again. So clearly there was an extended run. Um, I don't want to blame anyone for this necessarily, because I know Rob Paulson has also had health issues. So. I'm sure he was, he had to work at home, and you had to 
I work in AV audio, in like an audio, it was a pain to get new equipment for a while. So if you had a mediocre studio because you were home studio because you were going in, your audio quality is not going to be as good. And I bet Tress and, um, yes, yes, I'm sure they all, they had good, um, good, better studios at home, probably. Maybe, yeah. Um, I also I'm sure if we were to do a watch through of everything that had, like, that continued to do audio recordings through COVID, I bet we can see drops in people's audios throughout. And, and I've noticed it in some other things well. Not, nothing comes directly uh, to mind. Um, uh, I think Monsters at Work had a few as well. Um, but there were definitely, there, 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 it's definitely difficult to, it was difficult for all these studios to record during COVID. Uh, and I know there's also some people who, you know, obviously a lot of people could record from home, like you were saying, you know, who had their own booths or just, or, you know, had a, a padded place. I think during virtual Comic-Con in 2020, uh, when they were promoting the uh, Phineas and Ferb movie, they were showing all the actors in their own space. And I noticed particularly uh, D. Bradley Baker's home studio is completely padded and insulated. Like he was, he was decked out. So I, I feel like a lot of that depends uh, and I also, I think there's probably something of a staggered return back back to the studio with certain people who could come in uh, and certain ones who couldn't. I know a lot of animation production has, has started back up again. Um, and I know, as I as I alluded to before, since Rob Paulson has had health uh, issues, uh, I don't know how recently, I don't, obviously I don't know his thing <laughs> exactly, but it might've been that he, of, of the cast, didn't feel comfortable coming back into the studio and from home. Um, which might be why, like, those just handful of lines that they just, like, they couldn't get on that first run uh, whenever they recorded initially, maybe in 2019. You know, maybe they had reshoots or, you know, reboards or whatever. Uh, so for some reason, yeah, it's noticeable. It's really noticeable. It, it, it's not just us being niche. No, way. it... You can... Everyone is very... He's distant. Yeah. That's the problem. Like, it's distant. It's, Faintly echoey, a little softer. Honestly, I'm a little bit surprised they couldn't mix it a little bit better, just because it is, like you said, it's softer than than everyone else. I the the distance from the mic is hard to fix in post and in live audio. The softness, like they didn't bring it up, and they probably could have added some different balancing to make it match a little bit. It does. It just loses a little bit of the yakko energy we usually have. It it definitely does, and it's definitely pretty distracting. Um, that being said, uh, despite despite those problems, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Katie, but overall I thought this was a stronger season than what we got on season one. I think it was a stronger season. I have things I, nit I nitpick I didn't like. The first episode, not that great. It's definitely, I think it, it's, I think it gained strength, honestly. I think this oh, yeah. weirdly this season, you know, with some exception, I feel like it, each episode kept getting better. I think part of it was... You texted me when you started watching because you watched before me and were like, there's a lot of political jokes. They do they did drop down the amount of political for this yeah. for the most part. And yeah, some they, of the political jokes were better. As, yeah, they started off with Trump as Nero and that whole that whole sketch, which I, it was frustrating because I feel like it had a lot of potential. They just toned down the Trump jokes, uh, which is, it was just so inundated with that. Um, and it felt dated when we talked about it in November of 2020. And it feels extra dated now that we're, you know, a, a year, a year past kicking this guy out of office. Um, I did like the crabs attacking him, though. It felt very D&D. &D. <laughs> <laughs> we're just 
saying that because my character in D&D got attacked by crabs at one time. And yes. won. <laughs> well, it was close. I was on level one. <laughs> <laughs> you also almost were killed by a life preserver. I Moving on. I had issues, okay? I will say some of their political jokes I did like a lot more. I liked the first Dictator episode. This whole thing's full of spoilers. If you're this far already, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, watch just, this show. Officially, hey, spoiler warning. It, it's there's going to be a lot from here on out. Go watch it. It's generally good, like we said. It's not um, very long. Not very long. I think it has a lot of the same problems we flagged on season one. Uh, namely, this has completely lost any semblance of being a variety show and is really committed to one 11 minutes Animaniacs, one 11 minute uh, Pinky in the Brain, with some exceptions, which we'll talk about, which generally improved. I think um, their five, their like two minute end segments were better this season. I agree. I, I completely, I think, but, they, I think they, this was more in the spirit of the original this time. Yes. Some of those pinky in the brains, Katie, went on way too long. <laughs> that that was my next thing. But the, the first Dictator episode, very funny. Was a fan. The, the why were there two exact ones in a row? <laughs> I gotta ask, why did we do oh. two Dictator episodes in a row? <laughs> Oh, oh, I thought you meant the segment was called The First Dictator. Yeah, um, the, the Animaniacs writers really have a thing for Maduro? What? <laughs> they, I, really, they really went after Nicolas Maduro for two episodes, and I was very confused. I'm like, this is niche as hell. Like, it, I mean... Like, I, I love that. I love the niche. I love, I love how much they went after figures in this series that weren't... They did a whole episode taking down Ben Franklin of all people. That was, that was I, I love that because like even if it wasn't laugh out loud hilarious, that to me felt like this is classic Animaniacs. Like Animaniacs. I think they said one of the episodes was I forget what, but they basically said, What are we gonna do now to get out of the situation? It was like same thing we always do. Annoy them with our endless shenanigans till they give up. Yeah, I, th I think the Ben Frank one too. Like Yakko's like, well, siblings, like, should we leave it be or should we annoy him with antics? And they go antics, antics. Yeah. Is that the same one. Yeah, I. I, I think it's that one. They might have also done it in I, the I, Oliver Twist parody. I, I think I think there's a, di a variation on that in the Oliver Twist parody, but which was not my favorite one. But that's also because I don't know a lot about Oliver Twist. I do know a lot about Oliver Twist. I'm a big fan, and I thought that was a, some shallow dives in that one, which was a little bit frustrating. Um, um, mostly because Animaniacs is was always so good at blending real comedy with real history, which is why I think the Ben Franklin segment was one of the best. I think the uh, the Christopher Columbus segment. Tear down, Chris. <laughs> Like a whole song about why does this idiot have his own holiday? Um, was was very I think Dot looking at the book and being like, huh. wow, this is a low bar. And then just they just like straight up had a line like, this isn't even the worst of his stuff, guys. We can't say it all on TV, but go read the Wikipedia entry. It's terrible. Like, it that was that was great. Animaniacs is really at its strongest. I it's think trying to be a little bit educational. Yeah, that one was classic. Um. Speaking of the fact it was in song form, a lot of songs this season, which yeah, I think was our complaint for last season, is it didn't feel like we had as much musical number. I wonder how much of this was that, like, in early COVID, they had a harder time, like, getting orchestration together. Possibly. Uh, that, that would be one of the last things you do. That would be, like, a, like a post-process. So I wonder if that was... They, I like, wonder if they cut some from... Yeah. The they might have... 
They may have cut them from the first season and moved them over, which if they at one point thought we're going to have 26 episodes in one season would yeah, make sense um, that they just went, put it over there, put it over there. I, I um, did. They were, they were using uh, Yakko's world really heavy handedly. Like, I think they, like, they really want you to remember the one, like, that one really great Animaniac song. Not that, not I that think I understand. I understand it because it, they were mostly underhand making fun of how it's, I think, the most famous thing to come out of Animaniacs. Maybe. I think. I but I, like I think the joke happened one too many times. I think they needed to go a little further because they sort of yeah. that joke in season one as well in terms mm. of like, oh, Yakko's just, you know, stealing the show. Everyone loves to talk about Yakko's world. Like, I think maybe I just needed a slightly deeper joke than like, we're doing this again. Um, that said, I, I did get a good hearty chuckle out of uh, in the in the Oliver Twist segment, them talking about the countries of the world circa 1870 something. Um, that was good. That was As a, a history buff. That was fun. Right. I mean, um, okay. I the word Prussia sometimes, you know? Yeah, Prussia is <laughs> a great word. Um, speaking of weird, deep cut kind of jokes, like the 1800s cut countries, my favorite joke in this whole season is such a deep cut for, for film majors. Go for it. It is in a Pinky in the Brain episode. It is when Pinky is dressing up uh, for the pageant and tells Brain that they, that Pinky's like, I don't think you look that good in battle at Potemkin. <laughs> thought about that. And I just laughed for like a minute because that's such a weird, deep cut I, I to a film only film majors I think have to watch. Oh yeah, no, that was definitely there for, for, the, for the film majors. Um, I, I, honestly, I think the pinky humor was really strong in this season because my, my favorite joke was also a pinky joke. Uh, in the it was a weird pinky in the brain segment where his where his hands start like oh like, hands because of, of brain's device which I thought was that also struck me as like classic absurdist pinky in the brain like this is wild this doesn't make sense we're going for it um, and then uh, brain asks it asks I think cures him at the end he asks him like like are you are you, are, you, are you feeling vicious and he and pinky says fishes oh no they banned me from the aquarium after that. Um, which is one of those things that just takes a second. And also, it, I don't know if it's designed to be a reference to a Simpsons episode where they have a lot of allusions to a famous actor molesting fishes. Um, but like, it probably isn't, but that's what it made me think of. And for some reason that just sent me. I just, I, I thought that was very funny. <laughs> and I got a good good night, everybody, so. Uh, but yeah, they went with some deep cuts, which I enjoy. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I like I like some of those in like the Nero episode, for example. Like I thought I I just being a person who enjoys ancient Rome and seeing ancient Rome stuff. Um, like I, I liked and I liked the parts of that episode where they were actually trying to teach a little bit of history when they weren't bogged down in see Nero is just like Trump, which frankly I think that's unfair to Nero. <laughs> Like, I, when I, like, I kind of get what they're going for, like, and honestly, if anything, the, the fiddling as Rome burns is a little bit more prescient following January 6th, like, I, it's, you know, I might have been able to forgive that segment if that's what they were going for, but this was clearly written, like, three years before that happened, so, like, they couldn't actually make that joke, and instead they went for all of just the shallow, the shallow dives, um, 
that just it sort of just felt like it kept getting worse and worse over the course of the segment like it sort of started out with some like okay like i get it kind of an illusion kind of similar but then by the end he's just like straight up repeating stuff that trump said um, also i know it was on purpose the stylization of nero in that segment was so genuinely off-putting it was yeah, hard to, to watch they're trying to make him look like gross Trump. I mean, but it's the diaper and all of that. It was very hard to watch. Once again, as I, as I said last time, the new Animaniacs really likes butts. There's a lot, there's a lot of butts in my face watching this. <laughs> um, I know previously one of our other complaints was not a lot of side characters. They yeah. did more with their side characters. And we saw the ones from season one return. I still love Starbucks and Cindy. Starbucks and Cindy is still great. Still, still that great. one's fun. It's there's just something wild about it. I love um, it, the other know, ones. It, not it, it, that it, it, much. Yeah, Starbucks and Cindy this time around was giving. I I can't put my finger on what show, but it's giving me early Cartoon Network vibes. Like mm. maybe a little, like a little bit early, uh, like Dexter's Lab. Uh, maybe like uh i don't even know like maybe or like grim adventures of billy and mandy a little bit there was also some tiny tunes in in that specific segment yeah um i um, I, I don't know if we've, i mentioned this on season one but i do still love that cindy is voiced by an actual small child um apparently it's the niece of katie rice one of the directors um and like it almost kind of this time it kind of felt like they might have written the episode like around just some wild stuff they caught her saying that's like, quite possible it was maybe not wild felt like that it, it was the, it mostly takes place in a bathroom with her just like throwing stuff down the toilet and drowning poor little starbucks once again there were a lot of butts in this segment <laughs> starbucks's butt is very prevalent <laughs> a lot of a lot of, lot of star butt which they led to a very confused joke because like we always see him naked but there's a joke where like he actually like calls like star command or whatever and they like see him naked and they're like oh i guess this isn't a good time and they like hang up the video call I'm like wait he's always naked what why does this look any different but i you know what that's that's such a nitpick i i genuinely enjoyed the, this segment i i don't it's weird that there's only one though like it makes it it makes it feel like it's not a variety segment. It's just like, oh, like, what's this now? Like, I feel like if you were to just watch the the, the new series and didn't have the context of them doing this stuff from uh, the old series, like, I feel like a new viewer would be like, oh, like, why is this suddenly here? This show is one segment of Animaniacs, one segment of Pinky in the Brain, a two-minute closer from from the Warners. Like, what, what's going on here? Um, uh, and the gnome. Sorry, gnome I'm not supposed to curse funny. on this show. But the gnome hurts me. Yeah, that gnome. What? <sighs> I hate that segment so much. You know what? You know, I think I've, I think I pinpointed it. Why I don't like it? It's a Family Guy cutaway that lasts for four minutes, and two of those minutes are just the quote-unquote theme song, which doesn't change. Now, granted, mm. luckily it's only one of this. I think was there two last season, or I have no idea. Whatever. It felt too long then. It feels too long now. It's like it. it feels like something they wrote when they were very high and like the the absurdity of it kind of works but it doesn't work for four minutes I think that's the problem I think yeah I think it, it would you know what it would have worked as in that one anime in that one segment that we had uh with them uh, the Animaniacs uh, describing like their like the failed characters or whatever I would have had, had Jerry the sand 
gerrymander the salamander instead of the gnome. When they said that, that was incredible. That was funny. Incredible. Yeah, like that. That is where you put in the angry gnome that lives in a guy's mouth. Like that sounds that that's a that one line is funny. It doesn't need anything else. You know what? You know what it is? It's a Stefan thing. It's a Stefan from SNL. It's something you would hear Bill Hader say and then crack up. Like that's like it's funny as the one word sentence. It it's not a good segment. <laughs> Especially since this yeah. one was like 90% just an old guy yelling at his nurse, which was also like a little bit of something that I feel like didn't stand the test of time because one year post-COVID, uh, improperly run nursing home jokes do not hit the same way. That no. made me a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. yeah the I mean, Netflix bit was good. Let's go on to something else that's fun. <laughs> the Netflix parody was fun. Uh, there's the end endlessly scrolling, never finding anything good. God, it's so true. How many times have you done that where we just sat on Netflix and gone, what are we going to watch today? My most watched show on Netflix is just scrolling Netflix. Um, that or, or we could watch Leo the Lion again. <laughs> no, we, we don't watch Leo the Lion. We just like scrolled through it and almost died. It was amazing. I got to um, check real quick. We got a tangent. I think someone famous is in this god dang movie. Wait, what? What's? Oh, Leo the Lion? Yes. I remember who's in it now. Oh, who's in it? Poor. Poor Matthew Mercer. Oh, oh, well. Hmm. Oh, well. Um, Continuing. Um, all right. Would you like to guess what my favorite episode was? Um, you mean like segment? Or? Yeah. Uh, man, I don't know. I feel like there were several of these that, that were... Uh, very up your alley. What what was it? The Noah's Ark segment. <laughs> yep, I, that that was that was up there. I mean, I, for, first of all, before we get to, I think the reason both of us love this. Uh, I have two reasons. Two reasons. Well, the for for me, one one reason I liked it is I really loved the character design and all the weird animals they had on their Noah's Ark. Like the premise of the segment mm -hmm. is that they they collect all the crazy fictional animals. Yes, Katie. Mothman. Mothman. <laughs> Mothman was there and he was adorable. Didn't get enough screen time. Really fun designs. It like you you should you should go go watch it, audience. Um it's it's they they clearly Mothman. put a lot of love into the animation there. Um but the best part, certainly for me, probably for you too, is that we discover that this whole segment is really the origin story for one chicken boo. That's right, he's back. <laughs> Maybe you cannot keep this chicken down. So in both, if I'm correct, in season one, they have a moment where they reference Chicken Boo. Oh, uh, he's a character, yeah. a villain. Yeah. Yeah. Question, question, question. Yeah. Why, out of all the original series characters that have come back, that are not the Warders and Ralph and Scratch and Sniff, which are, those two are core enough characters, they don't count. Why is it Chicken Boo? And why do I love that? Honestly, at that point, that's the joke. Like, look, like, Chicken Boo was pretty much our favorite character from the original series, mostly because he sucks. Like, it's a dumb, Excuse dumb segment. Excuse you? His segments work. were so much better than the Good Feathers stuff. That's fair. That is fair. Yeah, Good Feathers unironically sucks. Like, if there, if there is one glowing uh uh change they've made it really is that they no longer have good feathers like i would i would kill for morita and runt i even you know 
Starbucks and Cindy has kind of replaced Button and Zin Mindy, but not quite. Uh, Slappy Squirrel was my favorite segment. Like, possibly, you know, I, I liked her better than I liked Pinky in the Brain, which I know might be kind of heresy, but I, I'll come out and say it. I like her a lot. Um, so it kind of sucks that none of them are around. But by God, Chicken Boo. We, we, we love Chicken Boo. Um, I love him. <laughs> I love baby chicken poo coming out of a giant purple egg. I, I, I like that there's like an implication that he's an immortal cryptid. Um, yes. <laughs> like, he just, he, he, most of the segment is they're trying to find who's the mother of this strange purple scaled dragon egg looking thing, like felt very dragon prince. Um, mm-hmm. And they, and then the reveal is that it's just chicken poo in there. All right, Scarlet. This is related to Chicken Boo, but I'm making a deal with you on this podcast because our social media manager, who also runs one of our D&D campaigns, won't listen this far into the episode unless we tell her to. Okay. If your character in her campaign dies, you have to come back as a monstrous form. It's Chicken Boo in disguise. You're disguised as a different kind of creature, like a different human variation. I mean... My character in her campaign is a vampire hunter. I kind of love the idea of coming back as a vampire, but actually being chicken food disguised as a vampire. And the only people who can think you're a chicken has to be either my character or the other dumb Canadian, because there's two of us. I was going to say, I feel, I feel like Jack is a pretty prime candidate for that. <laughs> it's got to be I, like one of the two of us. We're so dumb, no one would believe us. And yeah, that's the concept of chicken boo. Which I miss having that as a segment because I feel like that's what I think that's the energy they were trying to go for for the angry uh, gnome who lives in people's mouths. Like I think they were trying to go for the premise that is so absurd it shoots the moon and becomes funny again. Um, which so the gnome went the other direction. I I think I honestly think the problem like here here's my pitch for how that segment works. Um, that that segment works if you have many of them as a short bumper, like two minutes long, and every single one of them starts with something completely different. You you X out that weird Incredible Hulk style opening that they go for, which isn't funny. I don't know why they're going for it. And it's a really dated reference that no one is going to get. Um, you, you X all that and you have a segment that like seems like it's just a regular comedy skit. You know, something kind of funny is happening. And then 30 seconds in, the gnome pops out and you realize, ah, I've been bamboozled again. This was that damn gnome again. And then that's that's it. Like, that's how you do it. Like, yeah. like that, that is the way you make this stupid idea kind of work if you make it unexpected mm-hmm. when this thing pops up because it's a stupid concept. And mm-hmm. that would be what makes it funny. That's, that's kind of what made Chicken Boo work is that like, it would be more and more obvious every time he showed up that he's a person dressed as a chicken um, or a chicken dresses a person, a person dresses a chicken. It's a different, it's a different kind of story. Um, but yeah, I think, I, I think it, it would work better if it was, if it took that kind of inspiration from chicken boo. But I agree. And there's just one, and there's just one of each of that in Starbucks and Cindy. I don't, I don't get it, Katie. Why? Why were they so determined to keep it so uh, scripted? Like, why did they have to have, you know, for most of it, with some exceptions, have it be 11 minutes Warner's, 11 minutes Pinky the Brain, two minutes Warner's wrap up. I I think I mentioned before, especially those Pinky the Brain segments, all of them felt like they were four minutes too long. 
uh, even the ones I really enjoyed. Like I liked, I liked brain popping through the space time continuum, trying to bet on basketball. Uh, that was very amusing to me. Um, like I said, the hands one I thought was pretty fun. Um, but like the, the, uh, the beauty pageant at Trump tower one that felt really long mostly because it was then the second one that also turned into, we're going to make fun of dictators <laughs> after we just Why had one. two in a row. If it was just the first one, it'd be great. I mean, even that one. The first I, one was a better concept. You know, I feel like, I feel like there's something very basic about making fun of dictators. Like, I don't know. It, maybe that's just in like the current landscape we're in where every late night host likes to take shots at Putin. But like, I know in any other country, it would be considered radical to make fun of people with that much power who could, you know, kill us all with a thought. Um, but it, it, it does strike me as a little bit like of a shallow thing. Like the, the original Animaniacs like would poke fun at beloved celebrities and that, you know, even though they weren't like, you know, people like Putin with real power, that felt like it, it weirdly took more courage because you were, you know, taking the piss out of people who were beloved. Uh, it's kind of easy to make fun of people who Americans universally hate. Um, that's a, I, I always like a good dinner for fools premise. Um, even if it, you know, the, the twist that they think brain is the fool, you know, I think anyone watching spots coming from a mile away, like that's, that's how those kind of stories always end is that who is really the fool, the fool or the man who thinks the fool is a fool. Like, I don't know. I've just, I've seen that too many times. I'm, I'm bored of that. <laughs> I really like making fun of dictators. <laughs> It's, okay, it's so, so it was made perfectly for you. It wasn't. It, it yeah. was not my cup of tea. I think I'm just. I think I'm just bored by it. Um, but I. I it seems like, like I liked the Oliver Twist segment. Uh, maybe a little more than you. Um, I. I don't I, know enough about Oliver Twist in medieval England. I just. I liked. I liked that they were making. I. I, I enjoy a good literature reference. That's if you. If you like the current events stuff, I'm more into the. I more appreciate the good old classic literature references. Uh, I was really annoyed they split it into two. That was really frustrating that they did the first half of Oliver Twist and then a completely unrelated Pinky in the Brain and then back to Oliver Twist. It could have been related because Pinky and the Brain were in the Oliver Twist thingy. Yeah, and that was, first of all, good reveal of them in that set. I mean, I if, if the only reason to have them go into a regular Pinky in the Brain was so that there was a buffer, so you kind of forgot that they were part of the parody. Um, when they showed up in their giant mechanical elephant, which I, I couldn't tell. I think that was partially a reference to, uh, I think Brain's like dressed like Napoleon for some reason. I think that's just like a mm -hmm. joke. But like, also I know there is a, there is a place in France, uh, it's unrelated, where they have a giant mechanical elephant that just like walks around. Um, I don't know, maybe they just got inspiration from that thing. It looks kind of similar. Um, but that, that was fun when he just shows up with his orphan powered mechanical elephant and uh, the Warners just like look at each other like, oh, we should have stuck with that storyline. That would have been great. I, I'm kind of a sucker for, for the references to the, the original uh, Oliver musical. Um, I, there, there was just like the, when the scratch and sniff Fagin has like his like consider yourself song. Um, I kind of like that. I like that it was they they were parodying uh, freelance uh, work, um, which I, I guess is kind of what pickpocketing is. I think they kind they kind of lost the plot a little bit. Um, it was I th I think it had a lot of potential because I like I said I like the literature stuff. I like when the Warners 
do the, a little bit of a, a kind of parody of, of the classics. Um, but I, I think maybe they could have gone a little bit deeper with it. I think they're like, they didn't tell the second half of the story, um, which I thought, you know, they didn't have to do, but they, that they stayed in one part of the story for a really long time and it no longer really felt like they were like parodying the same story. Um, but, you know, I, I like the designs. I like the, the poor people designs, I like the way they made the gruel look. I don't, I don't think anyone making this knows what gruel looks like, but they did they did design it to look pretty gross. So good good on that. <laughs> so that was it. That was a fun segment. Um, any any other segments uh, that you want to highlight, Katie? I like that they tried to leave us on a cliffhanger kind of thing. Oh my god, the cliffhanger! This is a really the, good the facts about the cliffhangers—they're like maybe we'll never know. Maybe we won't get a season three. They've already been renewed for a season three yeah. before this season came out. I mean, I, I'm okay with that. Like, I I find it. I, I I would assume they probably wrote it up beforehand, and then they went, "No, it's kind of us to leave that in there." Oh no, it's good, and I, I I also you know notably they don't say season three; they say next season, which adds more credence to my theory that they meant for this all to just be one giant season. Oh um, yeah, because because also remember how the, the the first season doesn't really end with like the final episode is just like a regular episode. There's no real reference to it being the finale, is there? I don't I don't recall don't there being so. anything um, other other than it being the the first episode of that season to feature Scratch and Sniff. Uh, and then he's in a bunch more in this one. So maybe like that was also like a rearranging choice that like, oh, well, like we don't have that many episodes with him. We'll just make one of them the last episode of, of season one and then put more, more of his episodes in season two. Um, but for this one, Wacko's ending soliloquy when they're wonder they're sitting at the water tower wondering if they're going to get renewed or if they're going to, if it's going to be like when, when they went from the nineties to the, to 2020 without you know, I mean, I think, and we just zoom in on Wacko. It says, "Maybe this time we'll dream." Um, that was the sort—that's the sort of thing that would have seriously messed me up as a child. Um, I'm not sure what specifically they're referencing. It's got a little bit of Hamlet, a little bit of uh, Blade Runner uh, vibes. Uh, it's creepy as hell. Um, the, the, the line reading was great. Well done, Jess. It, it just reminds me of the, are we dead or is this Ohio? <laughs> oh, what a, what a great callback. What a, that was such a funny segment in the original. Um, but My second favorite, jab at a state. What? My favorite, my favorite jab at a state is, oh, what's so great about Nebraska? It's, it's the corn. corn. I miss Rita and Runt. I also miss Rita and Runt. Bernadette Peters is still around. <laughs> like, ugh, frustrating. I'm, I don't know. I, she probably doesn't sing much anymore. Um, I don't know. Maybe, I feel like, isn't she doing something? Maybe that's it. Maybe it's either she doesn't sing anymore or she still sings too much and is not worth their time anymore. Um, but yeah, it's for whatever reason. The, the series is still, I think, most hampered. Um, by its lack of, of additional segments. I think it's, especially with only 13 episodes, uh, you you really want a little bit of variety or else it does, and especially with, with a streaming show, which you kind of like, I know you don't have to binge it all at once, but let's face it, like that's how we were gonna watch it. And I think it's how a lot of people tend to watch it. Um, most people don't just parcel it out. You wouldn't, you would at least watch two or three episodes at once. Um, 
and it really does get very repetitive, uh, especially with some of those pinky in the brains, which which really do go on. Uh, was was Julia a super fan favorite character for you on season one, uh, Katie? Who? Julia, uh, brains rival. That he, he creates her in season one. She comes back and it's enjoyable, but I didn't love the recur. Yeah, I mean. I, mean, I don't know. I feel I feel like that was like an extra long one, and I'm wondering if they like thought that like having Julia there was like really gonna make this like this is gonna be the the best Pinky in the brain because we have Julia. Like I don't know. I'm just I'm not feeling her. She's she's fine, but like the dynamic between Pinky and Brain is already really strong. Throwing an extra person into it like just kind of it it, it messes with the very precarious balance they already strike. Um, Oh, but speaking of, of the balance with their relationship, uh, I really like the Simon and Garfunkel parody with the two of them. That was not something I was expecting in a pinky in the brain. Um, but yeah, they just sort of are Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, and then they end it with a, a pretty faithful parody of the ending of The Graduate. Um, another neat, but not super niche, because, you know, The Graduate's fairly well known, but something of a film major reference. I, I, I got to imagine that wasn't for the eight-year-olds in the crowd who who have seen The Graduate. Um, but that, another thing I noticed, I think this was the same on season one as well, um, but you notice half the episodes were uh, TV-14, half of them were TV-PG. I did not notice that. I, I couldn't tell any discernible difference between them. I got to imagine it's like a standards and practices thing. Like some one joke was over the line and they decided this one's going to be TV-14. Um, but it's just kind of hilarious to me to think of the Animaniacs as being TV-14. Um, I gotta assume back when it was airing in the 90s, it was all TVG um, because we've we've changed all of our standards. But the idea of TV 14 Animaniacs is hilarious because um, it's I don't know it's 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 either super super juvenile or super mature. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any any other uh, uh, top segments for you? No, I think we hit on most of mine. Yeah, I, I, I'm like scrolling through now uh, to remember some of them. Oh, you know what I think was probably the worst one? Um, the, the the new uh, Warner President's Daughter's Sweet 16 party. That was yeah. just a frustrating one. It was frustrating and also SpongeBob did it better. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, you can't tell me that it, like now, I didn't think about it in the moment, but now I'm like, this just reminds me of exactly like Pearl's Sweet 16 and like, Right, right down to singing characters it. impersonating the boy band, yeah. Which and being mad the, about the sculptures. Yeah, it was right, very, very similar to Coral's birthday in SpongeBob. Um, also, that was another time when I thought like it felt very dated because like the idea that the 16-year-old girl was obsessed with this like Backstreet Boys looking boy band. I'm like, okay, guys, like want to maybe update that a little bit to to the 21st century here. I mean, I guess like it's Backstreet Boys was the 21st century, but like. A, a girl having her 16th birthday in 2020 was not is not gonna want Backstreet Boys. She's probably gonna want like BTS or something, um, or pro probably a woman. Honestly, like I feel like a lot of you know the age of girls swooning over boy bands. I think kind of died with One Direction, which at this point, God help us all, is like 10 years ago. Um, I feel I feel like now it's more like oh like Lord or you know or. Uh, Billie Eilish like I think people are young girls are much more into like cool like female singers which is rad 
Um, but that just felt like particularly dated to me that this 16 year old girl is obsessing over this boy band. Uh, that felt like, you know, maybe 40 year old writers are, are thinking about when they were teenagers, much less than what their actual 16 year old children might be into. Um, which I think there, there's, there's something of a, of a theme of that throughout. Like I think, and you know, it's especially prevalent with the Trump stuff, but I think, you know, so, some of this is, is definitely more made for a, our generation, a slightly older audience. Um, I'd be curious to see what actual children think of this, um, which is a shame because I feel like OG Animaniacs was very, very 90s, but I think it, I, I, I think it is, it is kind of timeless in a way that I think you could show it to basically any generation of children and they would, they would get it, they would appeal to it. Um, Oh, another thing I was disappointed by, uh, they, there was so much promotional stuff with like the Thundercats Animaniacs, um, and then that was just an opener. Uh, I kind of thought that was going to be a whole segment. Yeah. Um, I might not have loved it as a whole segment, uh, because I'm not a Thundercats person. I know you are, Katie. You like the Thundercats. Um, so, I don't know. Maybe they, I think they, they probably didn't have the animation budget to go full Thundercats for, for a whole segment. Maybe. Uh, maybe. Who, who knows? Um, oh, what, what I, I, before we leave, I want to mention one gag I really liked, uh, in the, there's one segment where they were, uh, testing the weird prescription medication on, uh, Wacko, um, which I, I loved that for the absurdity. It felt very animaniac. It's a pill you take every 15 minutes so that you know that 15 minutes is passed. Uh, and one of the side effects was permanent fedora and he just suddenly had a fedora on. And yeah. I, don't, I don't know why that killed me so hard. But it really did. I, I, I think it was just because that's like, that's the Animaniacs absurdity. That's the, we are our cartoon. We can do whatever we want and we are going to do whatever we want. Um, I appreciated that. I think, I think slightly more of that would have made this really shine. Um, but like I said at the top, I think overall, I think this was an improvement on season one. I think they, um, maybe on season one, they just like just shuffled all their political stuff like way in the front. Uh, knowing that it was going to come out around the election and, you know, maybe hoping that people would really respond super well to it and not realizing that we were all just very burnt out by that point. Um, and we're still kind of burnt out now, obviously. Um, but with the exception of the Nero sketch uh, and the Trump Tower uh, pinky in the brain, uh, I think for the most part, they were they were pretty toned down, um, which I appreciated. I think I think and then like the, the right the two dictator things in a row but that that's always kind of going to be a little bit timeless because these assholes will never leave power um so i mean you could have made a putin joke in the 90s segment <laughs> like he's, yeah. he's like he's, he's oh that's that's evergreen um until until somehow one of one of his many assassins actually gets to him um but yeah uh anything anything you want to close us out on on katie any final thoughts I don't know. All right, I don't know. Um, well, I guess I'll finish off by saying I like I did like that there was a lot more educational type stuff in this between the Columbus sketch, uh, the tapestry one, uh, Ben Franklin, um, Oliver Twist, just a bit. <laughs> there was also one really weird, weird call for Wacko's wish. Oh yeah, right. They were like, what was the? That again? I, I think they were asking for stuff. Oh my god, we didn't talk about the spam mail, actually. Oh my god. Oh, I, I didn't love that. I thought that that was another one that I felt like lasted forever. That one got creepy, though. It, it, I, I liked the visuals of it, 
um i i liked yeah that was that was episode two or i think the, i think the theme of episode two was like just like bad media in general because that was also the uh the, i i'll refer to it as wandavision pinky in the brain when they go through all the different time periods of pinky in the brain uh and the, yeah it wasn't great the safety video which I, I kind of enjoyed um i think that was one of the weaker episodes i don't know i just yeah, I, I, it was so long of them being harassed by spam. There's only so long I can watch, you know, being harassed by spam um, and, and enjoy it. Um, but uh, I, what one beef I kind, it's very specific. And like that, in that WandaVision pinky in the brain thing that I was talking about, where they like go through all the different eras, slight, slight gripe, but none of the shows that they went through time were, were Warner Television. Like they were all like NBC or CBS. Um, Again, small, small concern. Like, I get it. Like, I don't think Warner TV has had quite as many uh, things through the years. It doesn't have to make it TV. Like, to me, that feels, like, very strange that you see, like, the Warner CEO saying, like, these were failed pilots we made. And they're, like, parodies of, like, Cheers and Honeymooners and, you know, great, great television. Um, but none of them were ever under the Warner umbrella. So I don't know why that bothered me so much. It just kind of did, like... I don't take credit for that, Warners. You, you have a great slate of stuff. You can't you can't say you made this. You, you don't get that credit. <laughs> but that's probably the kind of thing that only bothers me. And well, I'm glad we got that out of you. We had to let you stand on your soapbox for five minutes. Like, don't take credit for stuff that's not yours. Like, even in the context of a comedy sketch where you're, like, kind of saying this thing sucked, which also, no, none of those shows sucked. They were all great. <laughs> but... I don't know. There's there there there's some 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 hits some misses this season, but overall po positive view. I think um, I'm looking forward to seeing what season three is going to bring. Yeah. And I maybe I, less I, politics. Well, I mean, I think what what will be nice is that this season, you know, whenever it comes out, I know you know TV animation takes a while, so it might be several years before we get season three. Um, it it will at least have been able to respond to uh, some of the criticisms of season one. Um, and I think maybe that means that, you know, I, I, we're not the only ones who have complained about the lack of other side characters and side segments. So maybe with this extra time, they'll, you know, now that they've sort of, they, they, they've clearly, you know, they've, they've got the look, they've got the tone of, of these two segments, uh, the Pinky and the Brain, the Warner segments. Um, they've, they've, I think they're in their stride. Uh, maybe now they'll have time to, you know, either bring back old characters or create new ones. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a stickler for having to be the old ones. I'm not sitting here being like, oh, the old ways are the only ways. If, if it's not Rita and Runt, it's trash. Like we like Starbucks and Cindy. We want to see more of Starbucks and Cindy, I think is our main complaint. Like, or bring back Mr. Skullhead. I liked Mr. Skullhead. We all like Mr. Skullhead. It's bring back the wheel of morality for one bumper. Well, they had they had that one thing, um, which was kind of like the wheel of morality. Was what where they were with like the computer? What what was that? Um, I don't know if it's not the wheel of morality. It doesn't count if they're not spinning a wheel. It's yeah. not. It's not the same. I miss I miss the wheel. Yeah, there's there, there there's definitely they've lost the variety show feel, which I think is is really a bummer um, because that was one of the things that kind of made Animaniacs stand out. Um, that it was kind of that that variety show where you never quite knew what percentage of each episode was going to be Warner, it was going to be Pinky in the Brain, whether there even was going to be a Pinky in the Brain, like that was kind of nice, like Pinky in the Brain showing up, you know, a little more infrequently, I think would make them more appealing because since they're, they are kind of very formulaic. It's getting the, the good feathers 
problem where it just we got too many of them and they no longer were that funny at points. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think they like I, said, I think they did step up the comedy on the Pinky and the Brain. They were really bothering me on season one because they were just really long and not that inventive. Um, I think I think these ones were were generally a little more solid. Um, mm-hmm. I think because they were just allowed to be a little wilder. I think maybe they like put their safest ones up front, like the ones that were like what you think of when you think of a Pinky and the Brain bit. Um, these ones felt a little more inventive. There's a there's a the Prisoner uh, parody, which I didn't think it was that good, but kind of kudos to them for referencing a show that I don't think anyone knows. Katie, do you know The Prisoner? No. I think it was in like the 80s or the 90s. It was, I only know about it because they did a Simpsons parody of it, which is apparently how I know like 90% of my things. Um, well, that but, we knew. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, again, a little bit of kudos for them just going for it. Um, similarly with the, the one that's just the graduate. I mean, that, that vibes okay go go for it like I feel like they got a little more inventive this time around which which was was pretty nice um just kind of a shame that we lost Rob Paulson's voice for for so many segments that's that's a shame I hope he's okay (laughs) um but yeah uh unless there's anything else we want to add I think that that will do it for us today uh go watch the Animaniacs reboot it's very good it's on Hulu uh, watch it while it's still on Hulu. I feel like there's a good chance season three will be on HBO Max now that Daisy Warners has rested away whatever contract rights they gave to Hulu. Oh, right. They only had two seasons of Hulu or 26 yeah. episodes. Yeah. I, th- I think so. I mean, I'm, wait, I don't know what their contract was. I don't know what was specified there. Um, I know, you know, I, I think eventually it will make its way to a Warner-owned platform, whether that's HBO Max or if sometime in the future they've spun off into some other cartoon-related thing. Um, but I, I find it hard to believe that uh, Warners will let their uh, prized possession sit on another another studio shelf. So it, it'll be interesting to see if we watch it on like HBO Max from now and they still have all the references to Hulu. Uh, fewer of them this time around, I noticed. Um, and I don't know if that means anything or, or whatever, um, but yep, it's it. We'll 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 see what happens. The future of Animaniacs is is still being written, and thank goodness for that. I'm you know for all the reboot flaws, I am happy that I live in a world where there is more Animaniacs that's coming. That that brings me joy. It makes me think that there's hope for this putrid blue marble. <laughs> all right, take that out of the outro so I can go to bed. <laughs> all right, we well, still record these episodes too late. <laughs> Okay, well, we'll fix that eventually. We've got to get on a better schedule. Hop <laughs> <laughs> back into our cartoon time machine so Katie can go to bed. We have a we have a pullout couch in the in the cartoon time machine that they can sleep on. We invested in a very nice Davenport and mattress. <laughs> I'm Scarlett. I'm Katie. We're your animates, and we will see you next time. Good night, everybody. <laughs>